Good morning. If you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy, and I'm the pastor here at Spanish River. It's a joy to open God's word with you and to welcome you and to welcome all of you who are joining us online. And we thank the Lord for you as well. This morning, we are getting close to the conclusion of a series we're doing on gathering for worship. What does it mean to be a worshiping people? Uh, One more Sunday to go on that next Sunday. So in this penultimate message on worship, I want to draw your attention today to the connection between gathering for worship and spiritual warfare. Worship as warfare. Now, when you think about the great battles in history, Thermopylae or Marathon or Iwo Jima or Gettysburg, when you ponder all of those, you've kind of covered those in history textbooks, Hastings and the Horns of Hattin, and if you don't know what those are, you need to go back and read them. But I want to introduce you to a new one today, the Battle of the Wilderness of Tekoa. You probably haven't heard of that one, but it's in Second Chronicles 20. And I'd like for you to turn there, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to read together verses 20 through 22. And those verses will be up on the screen, and you can follow along if you have a Bible with you, or whether it's a print version or on an app. And we want to take a look at how God moved his people from a place of panic to praise, and how he moved them from a place of silence to song. And in the middle of that offering of praise, God showed himself strong and mighty to deliver his people as they gathered to worship his name. Now, I'll just set this up for you. Jehoshaphat is one of the great kings of Judah. There were a few great ones, David and Solomon, and then there were a host of really quite wicked ones. But occasionally, God would raise up a great and wonderful servant as king, Hezekiah and Josiah. Jehoshaphat is one of those. And he's been accomplishing a significant reform of the way Judah was organized and constituted and returning them back to the word of God, the fear of the Lord. And wouldn't you know, just as that kind of begins to get wrapped up, they come under attack. Have you ever noticed that just when you're trying to do the will of God, that's when the attack comes? Well, there's an old saying, if you don't meet the devil driving in to work in the morning, it could be because you're going the same way he is. So it's okay to run headlong into the enemy, and you will, but you need to know what to do when that happens. So they come under attack from this tremendous force from the east. They're within 25 miles of the capital of Jerusalem, and word gets to the king that they're about to be overrun by this tremendous army. What does he do? He calls the people together for prayer. And they hear a word from the Lord, a prophetic word that says, you won't have to, you won't have to fight in this battle. I have a strategy for you. Put your trust in me, says the Lord. Just go out, face them, and watch what I do. Well, let's see what they did. Let's pick it up in verse 20. They rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah 
and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in the beauty of holiness. And they went before the army singing, they're singing Psalm 136 here, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come up against Judah and they were routed. This is the word of the Lord. When they began to sing, the Lord set the ambush. I don't know what you think about this in terms of military strategy. I want you to go out and I want you to face the enemy but I want you to put the choir in front of the army. I'm not sure how many people would have thought that was a wise word. I was the president of my choir in high school, and uh, all that means is that they wouldn't let me sing a solo, just so you know. Like, you can be in the choir. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm in the choir. But I can tell you, looking around at the choir, if there was a, a military operation on, I wouldn't think about putting that group in front of the 101st Airborne and say, you guys handle it. But that's what happened. Take all the people who are part of the great Davidic choir and put them between the enemy and the army and let them just begin to sing. Let them begin to praise God, talking about God's faithfulness and God's love. And as soon as they began to praise God, God showed up to conquer their enemies. As they began to worship, the Lord extended his hand to defeat their foes. That is a remarkable moment, a remarkable truth we need to take on board. And the way we'll do that is by understanding a few things together this morning. First of all, this, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord himself is a warrior. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, he says, when enemies come against you, you will not need to do the fighting. I will fight for you. And this name, in fact, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord strong and mighty in battle, that comes from the book of Exodus, where Israel had been delivered from Egypt and slavery there, but now they're at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is pursuing them. So they've got the Red Sea in front of them, they've got the desert either side, they've got Pharaoh's army coming after them to kill them and the ones they don't kill to drag back into slavery. And the Lord says to Moses, tell everybody just to stand still. Just stand there and you stretch out your staff over the Red Sea. Now I'm just gonna tell you, if I'd have been there, if what I'd heard the pastor say was, just stand still, I'd have said, no thanks. I'm heading for the hills. But he said a very important word, stand. Would you say it with me? Stand, just take your stand. Stand there and see what I will do. That is a word which is picked up throughout the Bible about the times when we find ourselves in deep conflict, when we find the enemy coming against our soul, the enemy coming against our family, the enemy coming against the church, the arch enemy of our soul, Peter describes as a roaring lion going about seeking someone to devour. He's going to show up. 
You may, not have, you may have only been a Christian for about 15 minutes and thought, well, I didn't know I was signing up for a fight. But how many of you have found out you're in one? You, you, you may not have even known you were signing up for it, but you're in it. You are the object of hatred by the enemy, and he seeks to devour. And that's why Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says in his letter, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery missiles of the evil one. Put, put, take the sword of the spirit, the word of God in your hands. Let your loins be girded with truth. Let your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And having done all of this, he then says a word. Stand, stand. He doesn't say run, he says what? Stand. He doesn't say run away, he doesn't say run towards, he doesn't say get into the battle yourself, he just says what? Stand. And that's what happened in 2 Chronicles 20. They took their stand. It's what happened in Exodus 15. They took their stand. And when they were standing there, they added to the standing singing. You have to know that the Lord is a warrior. He started this battle. It goes all the way back to the human fall and rebellion against God. When humanity rebelled against God in our first parents, Adam and Eve, it says that the Lord came into that situation and started a war. He came to the serpent who had deceived them and incited their rebellion, and he said to the serpent, I am going to start a war. I'm going to put conflict between you and your seed and the seed of this woman here. One day she is going, woman is going to give birth to a son and that son, yes, in the fight, you will be able to bruise him on the heel but as you do so, he will crush your head. There is a warfare that I am unleashing and you will, when he comes, attack him, you will bruise him but he will crush you. God is a warrior and that's why he always called his people not only his bride, but in calling them his bride, he called them his army. Now, you go, well, how are those two things together? Well, there's a beautiful love song in the middle of the Bible, Song of Solomon. And Christian scholars tend to believe that one of the things that's going on here is not just the lyric of a love song between Solomon and his bride, but a picture of the way that Christ loves and speaks of his church. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, the bridegroom speaks to the bride. Solomon speaks to the woman that he loves. Christ speaks to his church and he goes, you're beautiful. That's the way every fella does with the gal that he loves, right? You look across the table, you all, hey baby, woo woo. <laughs> you are gorgeous. You are gorgeous. Put the red dress on. We're going out tonight. I got reservations at Sonic. We got big plans. <laughs> he goes, how lovely you are. You're just beautiful. And he says, you are, listen to these words, you are beautiful as the dawn, as glorious as the moon. You are awesome as an army with banners. What? I'm awesome as an army with banners. That doesn't sound like really romantic language, does it? You move me like an M1A2 tank rolling into formation. 
you are as hot as a Humvee on the horizon. (laughs) Nobody ever says that stuff. But Christ says it to us. We are his bridal army. And you go, how do I fight in this war? Stand. Would you say it with me again? Stand. But they added something to the stand. What did they add? Sing. Put the choir in front of the army. Begin to worship. And as they did, the Lord set an ambush. And the reason for that is because of this. It's a very simple, profound truth. Praise unleashes God's power. Many Christians need to learn this lesson. Praise unleashes God's power. Now, they worshiped after this tremendous victory in 2 Chronicles 20. But when did they worship? Only after or before? They worshiped by faith before. They began to sing and worship God before there was any indication of victory. Can you imagine the trembling of that choir? As they look out on the opposite hillside and there are the the combined forces of the Moabites and the Ammonites, the Edomites, that army with banners over there, and they said to the choir, y'all go on out there. Get on out there. Start singing, why don't you? Amazing grace will do. That'll be fine. (laughs) Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. No, what they sang was Psalm 136. You saw it in the text. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. You see, we have to learn to sing of the faithfulness of God and the love of God in the middle of the storm. We have to learn to sing before the victory is seen because we believe Christ has already brought the victory about through his cross. And that means if you're singing, if you're praising in the middle of the storm, that means you're trusting. You're trusting. Okay, we'll go out there. We trust you, Lord. That's what Jehoshaphat said. Put your trust in the Lord. No matter what happens, put your trust in the Lord. In the summer of 1940, the 350,000 members of the British Expeditionary Force were trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. And a cable was sent over to the commander. Can you hold out? Can you hold out? Can you hold your position? He sent back a three-word answer. Cabled it back to Westminster. Three words, but if not, but if not. Now the fact that we don't know what those three words mean can be somewhat alarming. But here's the astonishing thing, the entire military and political establishment of the United Kingdom in the summer of 1940 knew exactly what but if not meant because it was a quote from the book of Daniel. And it was Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego And they were told, unless you bow down to this idolatrous statue, you will be hurled into the fiery furnace. And they said, our God is able to deliver us. But if not, we are still not going to bow. That's trust. That's trust. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow. 
What was he saying? No matter what happens, we'll hold this position. We'll fight to the death. We're not going to bow. That's the attitude of trust you have to have in every enemy assault on your soul, in every enemy assault on the family, in every enemy assault on the church, in every single enemy assault. You have to say, our God will deliver us, but if not, we still won't bow. Let's begin to sing. Let's begin to praise. Let's begin to bless the Lord and see what he will do. Stop complaining, stop grumbling, and start praising. Start thanking him. Because there's a connection between worship and the God who fights for you. He gives you, you see, spiritual worship weapons. Now, I'm just going to read you a few of these from chapter 20. Take it back to the very beginning. It says, when they got the news about this, this is in verse 4, Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. Notice they assembled. They assembled. I want to give you spiritual weapons for attack. These are ordinary things. Now, I'm going to talk about ordinary means this week and next week. You're going to hear me use that phrase, ordinary means of grace. God uses ordinary means to accomplish extraordinary things. So when they were under attack, it says, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he began to pray. Now notice it says they were in the assembly. That's the word kahal, and it's where we get our word ecclesia. It's where we get our word church. In other words, when the trouble hit, what'd they do? They went to church. Now, the Lord was kind to you this morning. He gave you an extra hour of sleep. Now he's being even more kind to you. He gives you an extra 25 minutes or so of a nap right now. Some of you are taking full advantage of that. That's fine. I get it. We're just here to be a blessing. But you're here. And I'm just going to tell you this right now. One of the most important things you can do is just get up and go to church. Get up and go to church. It's fine if you're watching online and you can't come because of health reasons and all kinds of other things, but, but, but if, you're, if you're watching online and you could be here, but you just prefer your PJs and socks, get up and get to church. Thus says the Lord. Wait a minute, I'm a Presbyterian. I can't really say that, can I? I should back off of that one. But I can say that they gathered as God's people and then they did these three things. They began to pray. Here's the first one, prayer. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly in the house of the Lord, and he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation in your hand are power and might, so that no one, no one is able to withstand you. And then he comes down in verse 12, we are powerless. Would you say that with me? We are powerless. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You could live in that verse the rest of your life. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Spanish River, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on Christ. That's the definition of prayer. When you bow down on your knees and you say, Lord, all this force is coming against me. I don't know what to do, but you do. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's prayer. So the first ordinary thing that God's people do is they come together and they pray. What's the next thing? They hear his word. 
In verse 13, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jalel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite from the sons of Ahaph. He was in the midst of the assembly. That's a guy with pedigree. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed at this great horde coming against you. The battle is not yours, but God's. He gave them the word. That's the second ordinary means of grace, prayer and the word of God. He gave them the word of God. And here's the word of the Lord. You don't have to be afraid. The battle isn't yours. I want to underscore that again. The battle is not yours. Because you see, friends, we put on the armor and then what do we do? We stand and we sing because the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. And as they began to worship and praise him, it says, then the Lord set the ambush. They went out to the battle. They put the choir out front. And they said, choir, sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. It shouldn't shock us or surprise us that the largest book in the Bible is a book of song lyrics. And some of those are martial lyrics, like Psalm 68. Psalm 68, which says, arise, O Lord. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let his enemies melt like wax in the fire. Those are the lyrics of God's people as they know that the enemy's coming against them. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. The angels of God are thousands upon ten thousands. Myriads upon myriads are fighting Soldiers, the Lord of hosts that we cannot see, but they fight on our behalf as we worship and praise our God. As they began to sing and praise, it says in verse 21, the Lord set the ambush. Now you see, we keep trying, we keep trying to overcome the enemy by natural means. If we can just put on enough programs, if we can just get, I mean, look, let's face it, you could have a better looking pastor. Like we just had a guy who was like really sharp. You know, if we could just, if we just had more money, if we just had more of this or more of that, or if we could just get the right people in office, or if we could just have the right political outcome. But my friends, listen to what Paul said. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to pull down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And he said these are not carnal weapons, but spiritual weapons. The great missionary to China, Mary Slosser, said, I sang the doxology and dismissed the devil. That's a person who gets it and has a church we need to get it. God set the ambush. My, my, my. And that enemy was routed. And it says in verse 25 of chapter 20 that they were three days taking the spoil. Three days. For three days they took the spoil. It's not the last time that there'd be a three-day period of taking the spoils from a great victory. You see, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, doesn't it? Do you remember the promise when God declared the war? He said to the serpent, the woman is going to give birth to a son. You're going to bruise him on the heel. But he, when you do, will crush your head. 
And Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. They beat him. They opened his back with a Roman whip. They put the cross upon him. He carried it out of Jerusalem. And he carried it to a hill called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Oh. When you bruise him on the heel and the nail went in, he will crush you on the, on the head. When they dropped that cross in, it split the skull of the serpent. And Christ disarmed principalities and powers. And that's why the position of the Christian in the world today is not trying to get a victory, but to praise God because Christ has won the battle. Christ is triumphant. And we are to take our stand and begin to praise and bless the name of the Lord. That's our position in this world. When Christ hung there on the cross, he sang, he shouted, he cried. The lyric of a song, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was in that moment experiencing the depths of God's wrath and indignation and judgment that was against me, against us as sinners. But he, he took it to himself. All of the hell that we should have had in our Destiny, he took to himself and he paid the price. This is why the scriptures say that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. A great exchange took place in that moment. Christ took your sin and he bestowed on you his righteousness. He gave you the glory, the riches of his grace and he calls you no longer a slave of sin and death but a child of God. And on the third day, they were three days taking the spoil, and on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and Jesus Christ will come again, and he will come with all of his holy angels, and the victory that he won at the cross will be seen in all of its full splendor across every nation and every square inch of the globe and throughout the entire universe, and all the angels and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. So this is why, friends, when we gather together, you go, well, it's just an ordinary Sunday. Yeah, you're right. It's just an ordinary Sunday. It's not Christmas, not Easter. It's just an ordinary Sunday. And we're going to sing. And you go, well, I don't even like that song. <laughs> Can you imagine all the, the army behind the, the choir of Israel? And they began to sing. And one guy turned to the other one. He goes, I don't even like Psalm 136. <laughs> Surely, I wish they'd play that to a different tune. It's a little loud. No, they began to sing and the Lord began to fight. And I'm telling you, on every given Sunday, not any given Sunday, every given Sunday, as God's people meet, Jesus is in the midst of them. And as you begin to praise, the enemy sets the ambush and hearts are healed and bodies are healed and broken families are mended and souls are saved and prodigals come home. That's what God is doing as God's people gather together and begin to praise him. Then the tempter flees, the darkness is banished, and God's people come face to face with the glory of God revealed in Jesus and we are changed. Thanks be to God. So let's stand.
Let's stand and let's praise him and give him glory. Let's pray together. Lord, you have said in your word that your people are to praise you. Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nation, punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Now some of you are going, well, where's the choir? I, I, I need a choir. We don't have a choir. I, I guess we can't fight. Well, you don't have to fight. He will fight. You go, well, if, if we, we need a choir. Okay, so a few weeks ago, I introduced, I introduced you to this, that you are all in the priesthood. Welcome to the priesthood, I said. Well, I got a new word for you this morning. Welcome to the choir. You're in it. You're in it. And uh, hallelujah. And so as you begin to sing and lift your voice to God, you can expect the God who brings deliverance to bring deliverance where you are. Let's lift our voices to the Lord and give him glory. Amen. Bless the Lord.